0: this process of belonging is really belonging to everything and Mm. um, because that's the truth of reality and so that means belonging to everything about ourselves which is things we don't like our conditioning Mm -hmm. our genetic and uh lineage heritage our uh, social reality our family upbringing and that includes you know the traumas we've experienced either intergenerationally or personally and uh that Reckoning kind of our own history also helps us understand others.
1: The patience paid off. Now it's go time. Go time. The worries all around me. I'm a give mine. Born in the Queen City, got the four nine. Go to Green Trip, told me where the coast sign. So people gather me that's close to me. That's their regret. When I make it, I'm to take it. All I do is rest. Remain kind of self care. That's when I'm at my best. A little crazy. That's when I'm at a test. Feeling tone, get me I thought told you I told you
2: Hello, my friends. Welcome back to another episode, yet another episode, episode number 137 of the What If Project podcast. My name is Glenn, I'm your host, and I am drinking coffee, lots and lots of coffee. Uh, it has been a busy week for work. I work for Apple, uh, I work from home these days, and uh, just been a lot of different stuff to do, a lot of people who need stuff. Uh, just a lot of different things, so I'm tired, uh, but I'm ready. Oh, I am ready for this episode. Today we're sitting down with um, my friend Sebene Selassie. Now, if you don't know who Sebene is, uh, she is a meditation teacher, and I first came into contact with her uh, through the 10% Happier app, where she has a ton of meditations there. Uh, I get the app because I work for Apple. Apple gives it to us for free. And so I use it every morning. And uh, as I say in the episode, I have coffee with Sebene a few times a week through the app. And uh, she also has some sleep meditations on there that my wife and I listen to at night. And so sometimes Sebene even puts us to sleep at night. And we, uh, we talk about that a little bit in the episode. But really insightful woman. Uh, she wrote a book called You Belong. And uh, if you've ever felt in your life like you just don't, You don't belong, whether it's at work, uh, whether it's in a circle of friends, whether it's in your family, whether it's uh, in your church. You don't fit because you don't belong, because of the way you look, because of the way you act, because of the way you think, because of the way you believe, because of the way you choose to run your life. Whatever it is, if you've ever felt like you don't belong, this episode is for you, but this book is for you. You've got to hit pause Head over to Amazon, just type in You Belong, uh, and this book will pop up, and it is really, really good. I finished it a couple weeks ago, and I uh, highlighted so many things, dog-eared so many pages. I have a lot of things to go back to and kind of think through, but a really good tool for your journey, uh, highly, highly recommended. A couple things, uh, before we jump into the to the show, before we roll the episode, uh, number one, Patreon, patreon.com slash project. Is a place where you can go to give to support the show financially. Uh, So if this has encouraged you, it's inspired you, it's pushed you forward in your faith, uh, that's a place where you can make a monthly contribution, anywhere from $3 a month up to $20 a month. Every tier gets its own reward. But if the monthly thing isn't your thing, totally get it. Uh, We have another option, buymeacoffee.com slash whatifproject. It's a place where you can make like a one-time contribution of sorts. So maybe you listen to this episode and you're like, man, that's good. I wish I could take Glenn out for coffee and talk to him about it. Uh, If it wasn't COVID and we lived closer together, we totally could do that. Uh, And maybe one day when COVID's over, we can do that if you live in my area. Uh, We can go out and get some coffee for sure. But in the meantime, Buy Me a Coffee lets you kind of make a one-time contribution, anywhere from $5 up to Whatever your heart desires. So if you want to buy me a latte for five bucks or latte and a sandwich or whatever, uh, you can go there and make whatever contribution you would like. So buy me a coffee and Patreon. The links to those things will be in the show notes. Along with the Heretic Shop, uh, which is a place to go and buy some t-shirts, hoodies, hats, blankets, stickers, mugs, whatever you can imagine. It's there. And it's awesome. And uh, we're making some new designs. I don't know why I said it like that, but whatever. I'm making some new designs uh, for the spring, uh, for the summer. I design all the stuff on there. Some people like it. Some people don't. I don't really care. I I make stuff that I kind of like and and I would wear if I I were to buy it. So I've bought some of my own stuff. Some people like stuff and they buy it too. So head over there. Check it out. Uh, Throw some What If Project merch on your back. It's another way to support the show as well. Uh, And I'll put the link to that, like I said, in uh, the show notes. Special music today is by my friend Young Citizen. He is a a hip-hop artist here in Charlotte, North Carolina. He's someone who I work with at Apple, a wonderful human being, doing amazing things in the world. He's very gifted, very talented, has a real passion for seeing other people succeed. And uh, I am grateful to have him and his voice in my life. So head over to Spotify, head over to Apple Music, download his music, Pass it around, blast it from your speakers, and tell the world about young citizens. So all of that to say, my friends, this is episode number 137. It's my conversation with Sebenay Selassie. Let's roll the tape.
1: I just want to get right into it. Yeah, technology taking over the mind state. Conversations it out, just called a bad case. Then they base it off a character, a bad trait. Ain't no way to take it back, because now it's too late. Hey everybody,
2: welcome back to the podcast. Today we're sitting down with one of my new uh, favorite human beings. She's somebody who I get to have coffee with every morning uh, via the 10% Happier app. Uh, She's an author, meditation teacher. Uh, Sebane Selassie, welcome to the podcast. Uh, It's an honor to talk with you.
0: Oh, thank you, Glenn. It's an honor to be here.
2: Thank you. So, uh, Sebane, before we jump into some topics uh, revolving around your book, maybe take a few minutes to tell us about yourself. Who are you? What do you do? Uh, The cover of your book says that you are a nerdy black. Immigrant tomboy Buddhist weirdo. So (laughs) talk to me about that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That kind of sums it up, huh? Right? Um, Yeah, I am a meditation teacher, a first time author. Uh, Mm. I teach in a Buddhist tradition called the Insight Tradition, which comes out of Theravadan Buddhism, which is the Buddhism you find in Southeast Asia, Thailand, Burma, Sri Lanka. And I have been studying Buddhism for about uh, over 30 years now. Mm -hmm. I majored in comparative religious studies in college, and I I focused on early Buddhism. And... uh, Yeah. For most of my life, I worked in my adult life. I worked in uh, in the nonprofit field, working with children, youth, and families in the U S and around the world. But all the time, I was also a student um, practicing meditation, studying Mm -hmm. with different teachers, doing retreats. And about 10 years ago, uh, I started teaching um, and I've been teaching full-time now for about five years. And I teach in a variety of settings. I teach in... Uh, Buddhist settings, I teach silent retreats, and courses and on different topics. But I also teach mindfulness uh, in more secular settings, including on the 10% Happier app, which is, I think, where you first encountered me.
2: Yes, you, uh, my wife and I listen to your sleep meditation sometimes. and <laughs> That's how my wife, uh, I said, uh, she, she often puts us to sleep. So hopefully that does not happen on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> no, but you're, uh, that's how I first came in contact with you. And it's cool, the 10% Happier app, I work for Apple. And so they give it to us for free and oh, they often great. have the, um, they do like mindful minute challenges. And I know, I think you've been part of those if I remember correctly in some of the past yeah. um, events, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, it's been really good. And I, they gave it to us for free at the beginning of the pandemic and now uh, they're going to give it to us for a whole nother year again, but it's something that I've really been trying to integrate into my daily life and really kind of develop a, a practice. So I, I really appreciate the work that you, you put into it.
0: Yeah, well, it's kind of um, amazing. You know, this this year has been so hard, and there's been so much loss. Yeah. And some of the kind of learnings and maybe even opportunities of this challenge is how many more people have come to meditation.
2: Now, as somebody who's studied, you said you studied the uh, comparative religions. I believe you said. Mm-hmm. Have you come across like the the overlap of Buddhism and Christianity? Because I mentioned before, I come from a Christian background. I went to. Um, Bible college seminary all the things and I've been in this season of deconstructing where I'm kind of taking apart asking a lot of questions kind of looking deeper into what I believe and kind of why I believe it but I've in that process I've come across a lot of Buddhist practices and I've come across like a lot of overlap is that something that you've studied at all
0: uh, you know I didn't study it that much uh, in in the program that I was in there okay. you could focus on either um, Christianity or uh, uh, comparative religious studies, which was mostly Hinduism and Buddhism uh, in my in my school. Okay, but uh, but just informally, I have, and you know, there are some Buddhist writers, including Thich Nhat Han, mm. um, Vietnamese master, Zen master, who's written about you know the teachings of. Buddha and Jesus and their overlaps. And so I've come across it and, you know, have also just kind of connected to that idea of the perennial philosophy of all these ancient wisdom traditions and what they're pointing to, sure. which is, you know, really the truth of our interconnection and um, the path of wisdom and compassion as a way to it.
2: Yeah, that's really good. So your book is called uh, You Belong and subtitled A Call for Connection. So Before we jump into that maybe tell our listeners what the book is about and kind of who's your target audience like whose hands are you hoping this book falls into.
0: Oh, yeah. So uh, I'll start with that. I I really had two people in mind when I was writing the book. And uh, (laughs) there are two people I know, so that I could sort of keep my voice clear. And one is a person of color, uh, an immigrant young Mm. woman. And the other is a white woman who I know, who um, is also kind of in the millennial Gen X range. Mm. So I was always trying to keep my voice, um, speaking to those two people to help them understand this issue of uh, identity and belonging and and how really reckoning with our feelings of not belonging, which show up as feelings of separation, of anxiety, you know, the, um, the epidemic of loneliness that mm-hmm. predated a pandemic that has made it even worse. Yeah. You know, the, the high rates of suicide and depression and to really look at those as a crisis of belonging. The Mm. sense that we feel separate from ourselves. And that sense of separation uh, leads to feeling separate from others. So the subtitle being a call for connection.
2: As I was reading your book, I was thinking back over my own life and just having been, like having gone to Bible college and seminary. I remember feeling like, like even in those places, there was always like the in crowd, like the in group of (laughs) students who seemed to really get it and seemed to really be like the professor's little. Little disciples kind of thing, and I always like felt like I never belonged in that group. And I was thinking back, like just over my time in school, and how much how much energy I feel like I've I wasted on trying to belong. And just like your book, really just felt like it cut off a lot of chains of like I was fighting for something and pushing for something that was already mine. Like I already did belong, and so much energy was wasted on trying to grasp for something that I already had.
0: Oh, for sure. I think that's, you know, that's really what the book is pointing to that we all belong, you know, whether we want to or not, we all belong (laughs) to each other too. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and also pointing to the fact that those people who you projected onto as feeling uh, belonging or having some sense of belonging, they probably also felt feelings of not belonging, yeah. they, they just maybe weren't the same categories or themes or in the same spaces or ways that you did.
2: Yeah, that's very true. So let's me let me, let's, let's tackle a, a topic early on in your book that I think is going to hit home for everybody. Um, page 24, you talk about the, the coronavirus and you say the coronavirus has shown us how interconnected we are, which you said a little while ago, and also how unequal. And you say, my friend uh, Dara describes it like this: the virus allowed us to experience that everyone is in the same ocean because we experience the same rough waters of potential illness simultaneously. But it also reveals that we don't have the same boat. So, talk to me a little bit more about this interconnected piece. Like, how has COVID in particular shown us that we are connected to each other? And also, like, why is that? Why is that such an important thing for us to realize in these times?
0: Yeah, you know, uh, I I started writing this book and I finished um, the almost final draft before the coronavirus and before (laughs) um, also last year's uh, and continued racial uprisings. Mm. And uh, I got to add in um, comments and a few thoughts about how the themes of the book are so connected to both. Mm. And the pandemic, you know, has been this really incredible... Moment, which I think is unprecedented, that Mm. the entire world, you know, even my relatives in small towns and Eritrea and Ethiopia, is experiencing or understanding the same reality at the same time. I don't think there's been anything ever like that, Mm. and and so that same kind of shared witnessing, if not necessarily the same opinions about it, sure the same witnessing of what's happening um, is is really showing that interconnection. And, you know, I go into the, in the book um, to kind of talk about interconnection in many different ways. So there are the ways that um, are just reality, like the pandemic. Uh, There are also, um, you know, the scientific Proof of our interconnection and the way science, particularly modern physics and contemporary physics, have shown that you know everything is absolutely tied together in this mm-hmm. kind of uh, mysterious fabric of being. And and then I also talk about ancient wisdom traditions that have always spoken of this, including the Buddha Dharma, the teachings of the Buddha, which talk about non-separation or interconnection as the fundamental reality. And and so you know whether we Understand it clearly or not, there's there are constant pointers to the truth of this interconnection, and and if, when we start paying attention to it, we can really use that as um, as a guidepost and a, a tool for um, starting to understand our relationship to the truth of that interconnection.
2: You talk about like about how um, this is new. This is like a new kind of topic for me, so I might get it wrong. You can correct me if I if I am wrong, but like about how physics and things like that show us that. Like we have the same makeup as the rest of the universe, right? Like the like the atoms that make up our bodies are the same kind of atoms that make up the universe, and so there's that in and of itself connects us to everything around us.
0: Yes, you know. So these these truths that um, when you kind of go down to the sm- smallest, smallest, smallest particle, that there there is no. Way to separate it out. It's kind of a a fabric of interconnection. And, you know, I'd originally written some kind of. a longer piece about science and physics, and and some of it was true. I mean, it was it's it's things that I got from uh, science websites or from science books, but um, not all of it has been you know validated and and kind of certified. So I actually uh, gave that physics section to a physicist that I had met at a conference. Hmm. Uh, he's a a world known physicist, Marcelo Gleiser is one of the foremost. Um, uh, physicists uh, in this country is at Dartmouth, and he um, he kind of corrected my physics, and I end that piece with a <laughs> sentence from him about this. Um, so he kind of took out anything that is like suspect or you know kind of not agreed upon by most physics physicists, and only by string theorists. And even with with that, you know, he took about a half, took out about half of it. It's still kind of mind blowing. The, tr- the truth of our reality as we understand it scientifically. And then of course, spiritual traditions have been pointing to this for millennia and um, for, for time immemorial probably that there is a mystery and a truth to that fundamental interconnection. And, and that's what the mystics and saints have, have spoken about in, in writing and songs and, uh, and teachings uh, since humans have been alive.
2: Yeah, it's amazing that like things like you said that these saints, these teachers have taught for centuries and centuries is being validated by science all these years later. And just really interesting that they they could have that insight to that so far back when that science wasn't even developed yet. And now with all of our modern technology, we're able to validate it.
0: Yeah, science is catching up.
2: Yeah, right, exactly, (laughs) exactly. So uh, one of the pieces of the book that really... Uh, hit home for me, I think probably the the part that has really made me think the most is when you talk about how separation gives birth to uh, domination. Like in other words, if I see myself as disconnected uh, from someone who who I differ in regards to maybe politics, religion, life in general, it becomes easy for me to almost elevate, I guess my opinion above theirs, see myself as dominant over them. And then, kind of create this distance and disconnection between us. Am I understanding that correctly?
0: Yes, perfectly. And oh. you know, one of the kind of core themes of the book, and um, something I repeat throughout, is that although we are not separate, we are not the same. Yeah. right. And the mm. kind of thesis of the book is um, centered around a, a core teaching in in Buddhism called the paradox of the two truths. Hmm. And it speaks of the relative truth of our human body, our embodiment, our um, identities, our histories, our legacies, including trauma, including the systems of oppression that we live within. Uh, but it also points to the absolute truth. And that's Mm. the kind of the physics and um, mystery truth that uh, we are interconnected. We are not separate. uh, Fundamentally, we're just vibrating energy Mm. uh, that has been connected since the origin of time itself. Um, And what I love about this teaching is that they're both true. It's, it's called the paradox of the two truths because both of these things are true. Mm. And to me that helps set the the kind of tone and and the ground for uh stepping onto this path of belonging because we we sort of sometimes lean into one truth or the other depending on what we're navigating or even depending on what our social position is and so i i use examples of race a lot in the book um i'm a a black woman i was born in ethiopia i was raised in the us Mm -hmm. and uh i i look at the ways even if I don't name it, maybe exactly like this in the book, but the ways that sometimes, for example, and we could take different identities to kind of look at this, but white folks might kind of gravitate towards the absolute truth of like, oh, we're all one, you know, I'm colorblind. I don't, Mm. why do we have to look at this? And then folks of color might gravitate towards the relative truth, Mm. you know, sort of navigating their identities and getting mired in that and losing that sense of interconnection. And so to me, the path of belonging And really, of spiritual awakening and freedom is navigating that balance Mm. and understanding, you know, where we might need to um, grow and what we might need to understand so that those two truths that we are not separate but we are not the same start to rectify kind of the stormy seas of that COVID water, right? Mm. So that we're all experiencing this interconnection, but some people have are literally on yachts. Like literally. <laughs> and <laughs> and some people are, you know, barely have a dinghy. Yeah. And so how do we make it that if we are interconnected, that everyone has kind of the shelter in the storm that they need? Mm. And so that we take care of this this human and also more than human family, this planet, uh, in a way that that really honors those two truths. Yeah. And so that's a path that's not just about fixing the boats it's also starting to recognize how you know what kind of boats we're building yeah (laughs) kind of keep keep going with this metaphor and right you know who we're kicking off our boat because Mm -hmm. we don't want to look at it we don't want to see it you know how we're constantly trying to just navigate towards calm waters for our our boat and our you know cotillion or what is it called like a um, kind of congregation of yes, boats right. uh, rather than um, really starting to look at like the collective. And and uh, there's a story from Thich Nhat Hanh actually uh, about the, um, the wave of Vietnamese immigrants, you know, called the boat people who came over uh, from Vietnam uh, as refugees in the 80s. And he He, I think it's a poem where he describes how, you know, if there is just one person on a boat in a stormy situation who can stay calm, the the likelihood of everyone surviving is is that much greater. Mm. Um, And so we start to really look at how we are in our own boats and, you know, I'll drop this metaphor at some point. Um, (laughs) Keep going. It it works. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, how, how, how we behave and um, what we're not looking at. You know, there's been a huge reckoning this year for lots of white folks and, and, um, and actually a lot of non-black people in general to look at um, the levels of anti-black racism that they haven't seen before you know, and it's not that it hasn't been there and it's not that Black Lives Matter, other people, Martin Luther King Jr., mm. you know, all people throughout history haven't pointed to it, but it was really that willingness to say, oh, you know, my boat is actually in relationship to all these other boats. And uh, there's, there's a kind of uh, self care and community care that has to happen in tandem.
2: So what does it look like then? Like all of that sounds wonderful. To me, like in my mind, but I'm trying to think of like, how does it make its way out like in a practical way? Because like in days like when we have like we're in a pandemic and we have tons of people who, just to be blunt, like refuse to wear masks because like it's, you know, it's an infringement on their rights. We have a lot of those people down here in the South. Um, We have days, you know, where insurrection is in the news headlines with, you know, things like racism and stuff like that. Uh, we have people just people just disagreeing about, you know, politics and what's right and what's wrong. And like how how do we not like how how do we as a whole like not be separate? Like how do we not have a mentality of domination against other mentalities that really seem sometimes so oppressive and so like inhumane? Like how do we not disconnect from those things? But like how do we come together as one? Like what is a practical way that this that this looks like?
0: yeah one of the things i um start uh, talking about early in the book is really understanding uh, others and and um, and in in the process of understanding ourselves and understanding others mm. and so uh, this this process of belonging is really belonging to everything and mm. um, because that's the truth of reality and so that means belonging to everything about ourselves, which is the things we don't like, our conditioning mm-hmm. our um our uh, genetic and uh, lineage heritage, our uh, social reality, our family upbringing, and that includes you know, the traumas we've experienced either intergenerationally or personally. And uh, that reckoning of kind of our own history also helps us understand others. And I mm. use, we were talking it um, before we started recording about, the inauguration and how all these former presidents were together and George Bush was there. And I use him as an example in the book of <laughs> someone who ha- I had to learn to understand. And um, it was I was uh, practicing uh, this practice of loving kindness or metta meditation uh, in relationship to George Bush because I had so many issues with him. This was Mm -hmm. the time of the uh, Katrina hurricane Katrina and um, the uh, war in Iraq and, you know, a lot of political disagreement with him uh, in, in my mind. And what I did is started to imagine what it was like to be George Bush Mm
2: -hmm.
0: um, so that I could send him loving kindness. Mm -hmm. And uh, in that practice, I was imagining what it was like to really be George Bush, which means I was imagining how his childhood was, um, what his upbringing was like. So not switching places with him now with Mm -hmm. the understanding and conditioning I have, but really understanding what would it mean to have lived his life. Mm -hmm. And when I did that practice, I did it for weeks, every morning for about 20 minutes, uh, at one point it came to me as an insight you know a real understanding that oh i would be george bush
2: yeah
0: and to think otherwise is just arrogance mm. it's just domination mm. it's it's sort of taking my perspective which of course i think is right <laughs> and and projecting it on him as if he should have the same understanding but if i can really really step in someone else's shoes i can see that they are living The outcome of their reality which includes all of their genetic history their epigenetic which is you know not just the physical things that we inherit but it's been shown through science now that we actually inherit emotions and attitudes and traumas and behaviors we also inherit resilience and capacities and all of that is passed down into the reality you're born into and then you're conditioned by the reality around you And so when we meet someone that we're kind of in opposition with, uh, really seeing that and, and being able to see clearly what's happening rather than uh, projecting all of our emotions and wants on it. And so I could look at you know, this uh, horrendous um, uh, attack on the Capitol a couple of weeks ago and be in uh, direct opposition to what was happening you know, it's not that we then just acquiesce to anything that is uh, oppressive or violent, mm-hmm. um, but I can also start to see the people there more clearly. And what I saw was a lot of really confused, um, really uh, upset, and deluded people. I saw a lot of addiction. You know, there were um, numerous people who were drunk and high. Uh, and that was pointed out by some reporters, even who followed up with some of the people who were there. And one was uh, actively drinking to the, through the whole um, interview over Skype with this reporter, you know. And so the the levels of intergenerational trauma and personal trauma, and and hurt and pain that allowed these people to do this kind of really senseless and 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 um, uh, horrendous action. We start to be able to put it to to context rather than just coming in with a dominating, superior attitude like, well, that is wrong, and I know it's wrong, and you're wrong for doing it. That's true. (laughs) And we can also bring a deeper understanding to it.
2: So the goal then isn't isn't to be right, isn't to prove my point, but to pursue understanding and to pursue the context, I guess, of what brought the other person to be where they are. Because I guess if I can look at myself and realize that I came to be the way that I am with my set of beliefs, my set of understandings because of the life that I've lived, history that I have, the genetics that I have, the family I was brought up in, all these different things. If that's true for me, then it must be true for the other person as well. And I guess that's where you can find commonality and connection. Yes. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Making sure I'm grasping, <laughs> picking up what you're putting down. Yeah. Beautiful. <laughs> and, and I guess too, like, because I guess, I guess my 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 concern was, I guess, in, in reading and that I was trying to wrestle with is like, and you just said this is this, this isn't the case that pursuing understanding doesn't squash my voice to speak against things that are oppressive. And I think that a lot of times we talk so much about unity, the importance of being in harmony, and I 100% agree. But that doesn't mean that we are silent against things that are are wrong.
0: Yeah. And, you know, and I would actually um, question whether uh, uh, un- unity is a given, right? Mm-hmm. We, we are not separate. Yeah, <laughs> and so right. kind of interrogate what people actually mean by unity. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if harmony is the goal. Mm. Um, or let's say if harmony is... Um, uh, if we have a clear a, a clear understanding of what harmony means, it, it's sort of like with unity. Yeah, um, because there there seems to be uh, people's own discomfort with discomfort mm. kind of being part of the issue because it, spaces that have been really transformative and generative. I work in a lot of multiracial spaces, bringing together people of color and white people to actually uh, explore some of these issues. And I wouldn't call those spaces harmonious Mm. (laughs) all the time, right? And there's a certain amount of disruption that's actually necessary. Mm. Um, You know, we sort of look at uh, even the civil rights movement in this country as something that was peaceful and it was. Nonviolent was used as a tactic, but it was not peaceful. There was a lot of disruption caused by people showing up into, you know, spaces where they were, officially not allowed, legally not allowed,
2: right?
0: right. There's a lot of disruption um, in blocking traffic or uh, disrupting the transportation system. And so, yeah, so just to, um, not that we need to abandon ideas of unity or harmony, but really think about like, what are we talking about when we say those words? Are we just um, using them to kind of uh, have an idea of like something that feels comfortable for us? Mm. And you know, the, the book goes through these kind of five steps um, that are you know, a little bit, they're constructs. So that, you know, it's not like it's exactly sequential in our lives. We're sort of exploring mm. all five all the time, but they're ground yourself, um, uh, know yourself, love yourself, connect yourself and be yourself. Mm. And the first one ground yourself is kind of the heart of the meditation practice of mindfulness. And it's really grounding in the body and learning how to be with our experience mm. and quickly learning. Like most of us <laughs> uh, learn this very quickly that we're not comfortable with our experience.
2: Right. You
0: know? <laughs> we fidget. We, we, we distract ourselves. We, we want to turn away from with, what's right here. And mm. so quickly we learn how uncomfortable we are with discomfort and yeah. part of practice is starting to just be able to be with what's here. And that, that might be an itch. It might be you know, an uncomfortable emotion. And in our lives, we, we can witness how, you know, we don't wanna be with a difficult conversation. We don't wanna be with an uncomfortable um, piece of news, or uh, we don't wanna be with um, the, the discomfort of having to be the disruptor who yeah. kind of call calls uh, out or calls in um, you know a racist comment by mm-hmm. a friend or a family member. And so the practice actually starts to help us build the resilience to learn how to be with our experience and and from there, we're not so much in kind of opposition to someone as someone separate from us. We're taking a stand for our values and what we know is right.
2: Yeah. I think that's something that the, that a meditation practice has really helped me with, and I think I, I feel like I've made, but doing I've been doing it regularly since probably March or or April, and I feel like I just really made like a what I think is a, a very big connection for myself is like when when everything happened on January sixth with uh, at the state capitol and everything, like I remember thinking about my meditation practice and thinking about how like when I sit there in the morning for ten fifteen minutes. I have an itch like every 30 seconds, you know? And like, it's just like, I have to constantly like, just try to, like you said, ground yourself back into the present moment and, you know, try to allow the itch to be there. And then, you know, just to, it, it fades away. And I thought to myself this day, like this January 6th day, everything inside of me is like curling up, like wanting nothing to do with this, but this is like a giant itch. And I thought to myself, yeah. if I can just be here in this moment, like with this day and all of the the crap that is surrounding it, all the thing that's going on with it and just be here with it. Like what, what will that do? And I still don't know the answer to that question, but I felt like it was just a, everything inside of me wanted to push it away, but there was something else deep inside of me that said, let's just be here with this moment.
0: And, you know, isn't that, um, first of all, that's just beautiful. The way you described it is beautiful teaching. Mm. And, you know, isn't that what we want in all of us, isn't that the kind of capacity we want to build in our children and in our yeah. communities, and yeah. especially in our, you know, our, our, the people who take care and um, are protecting and serving us, including the members of the government? And um, yes. I think of the, the officer, I think his name is uh, Goodman. Mm -hmm. who was the black man standing at the top of the stairs who uh, had that angry mob at the bottom of the stairs and his calm and resolve in kind of just backing up and continuing to speak to them while also radioing for help and intentionally leading them in the wrong direction, which gave the the members of Congress time to get out, you know, and the kind of clarity and, um, that capacity to just be clear in that moment that he had—it's like, you know, he didn't take out his gun or, right. you know, really um, or run or mm. which was maybe what I would do. You right, know? yeah,
2: me too. I'm um, right behind you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but uh, that kind of training uh, yeah. takes takes training and takes practice. And it's called practice, meditation practice for a reason. We have to practice this in small ways with itches and with uncomfortable emotions within us so that we are able to respond uh, more clearly and effectively when we're with others.
2: That's so good. So another piece of uh, wisdom in the book, and you you mentioned this a little while ago, is this idea of loving yourself. And you have this great quote on page uh, 139, You say when we love ourselves, our sense of separation softens. The need to dominate dissolves. Comparison and competition clear away in the presence of self-love. So, I guess my question is, like, in in a world where you know we have social media is in our face all the time, (laughs) you scroll through Instagram, you see all the highlights of everybody's life staged perfectly. It's perfect for the public eye. Like, why is it so important to love? myself in the midst of that? And how might that help me be more connected to other people?
0: Yeah. Well, you know, love yourself comes after ground yourself and know yourself. And I see kind of those three in a continuous loop. Mm. So we first have to learn how to even be with our experience so we know what's happening. Um, yeah. and, and it's an embodied practice. You know, I, I, I feel mindfulness is actually a misnomer because it makes us think that it's a mental activity, mm-hmm. but it's really a whole understanding of what's arising. And often the first clues are, are somatic, they're physical. You know, the grumbling in our chest or the knots in our belly are signs of um, emotional conditioning and, Uh um, you know, long responses, again, that might be inherited um, or at least learned from our environment of how we should respond to things because those things were... Um, considered safer or at least they were known to us and Mm. so we we just copy what's around us and so the know yourself step is really starting to understand like what well what's my conditioning you know how am i with Mm uh these difficult emotions am i kind of mired in my rage and upset all the time um you know, even if there's a, a kind of an immediate validity to being um, outraged about something, do I kind of stay there in a loop that keeps me unable to, to be effective in, in taking action around things that I, I, I think are, are wrong or unjust? Mm-hmm. Or maybe I'm mired in depression and emotion that... Um, you know it's kind of a, a a pit for me that it's hard to climb out of and that's learned from you know my my family or mm-hmm. you know my my paternal lineage or my maternal lineage yeah. or um so starting to know ourselves and know our patterns and so know yourself and love yourself are closely related and they're kind of happening almost simultaneously because we don't meet those things with rejection. Mm-hmm. We meet them with a sense of understanding that just like George Bush's life, like uh, my patterns have their causes and conditions. And sometimes those causes and conditions aren't even from my lifetime. You mm-hmm. know, They're generations of, of patterns that have been handed down through a particular culture, a particular community and uh, start to Meet those with some kindness, Mm. you know, to a real understanding. I use a quote by Krishnamurti a lot, and I use it in the book where he says, We, um, you think you're thinking your own thoughts, you're not, you're thinking the culture's thoughts.
2: Yeah. Hmm.
0: That every single thing we think we've learned. Hmm. And so starting to tease out what is helpful, what is true. Yeah. Um, what is kind and um, starting to kind of uh, change our thinking and understanding about things through this process of self-compassion and self-love.
2: Yeah. I, had a, I have a friend who um, is a, he's like a, he's a therapist, a spiritual director, and he's been talking to me a lot about been sharing some like personal things with him. He's been helping me understand like the idea of the inner child and just like mm. there's just so many things like I, I said to him I, I've always struggled with doubt I've always struggled with this feeling of not belonging just to, to go along with the title of your book and you know I said I, I've went through went through seminary went through Bible college and in that world a lot of times those things are seen as there's some kind of uh, like demonic force that needs to be dealt with in your life and you know he said to me he's like all your life you've spent trying to push away this doubt, trying to cast away this doubt, whatever it might be. He said, what if you just allowed yourself to be with it and recognize that every time you feel that doubt inside, there's like a smaller version of yourself that is crying out for some kind of help. And instead of trying to push it away, what if you invited that small version of yourself like you would for your daughter, like I have a three-year-old daughter, you would invite her on your knee and you would ask her what she's feeling ask her why she's feeling that way, and then speak the truth to her. He's like, what if you try doing that? And I feel like what you're talking about now, this idea of loving yourself, like that's a practice I've been trying to implement into my life is every time I feel that doubt, every time I feel that sense of I can't do this, I don't belong here, I shouldn't be here, recognizing that that's that little person inside of me asking for help and then trying to honor that in myself.
0: That's so beautiful. Yeah, I was um, reflecting the other day on when one of my nephews was younger, but not that young. He was probably 11 or 12. Hmm. And he was really into baking at the time. And he was having... um, he was kind of challenged with uh, a, a baking project. And I think there was maybe a lot of like measuring and math involved mm. and and he got so upset with himself and he started, uh, my, my sister-in-law told me later, just telling himself, he was kind of banging himself on the head and being like, I'm so stupid, I'm so stupid, mm. I'm so stupid. And hearing those words, yeah. like, Oh, my heart was just in so much pain Mm -hmm. that he would say that to himself. But what I realized that we say that to ourselves all the time. Yes, yeah, you know, yeah, and and internally, and you know, maybe we we put it into words that um, sound less harsh, so that our subconscious will accept them, and um, but you know, we speak to ourselves in ways that we would never want a child to speak to themselves or, you know, someone that we love to speak to themselves. And so starting to really pay attention to that. And you, you described, you know, such a beautiful process of actually starting to, to nurture um, some care around that.
2: Yeah. Almost like trying to reparent your inner child in a way, <laughs> I guess. Definitely. Like put yeah, it. yeah. 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 So um, we're just, we're, we're nearing the end of our time, but I have one more question for you. Um, sure. You have the ear of people who are are listening into in various places of the world. We have some people in Australia, uh, Norway, Canada, Spain, everybody's feeling something different. But like you said, we're all kind of experiencing similar things with the pandemic and coming out of 2020 was a very interesting year for a lot of people. But for people who feel like they they don't belong, people who feel like they're they're struggling maybe with coming out of like depression and anxiety and different things like that. What do you want to leave those listeners with today? What would you say to them?
0: Belonging is truth. Hmm. So as we've described um, through these uh, spiritual understandings, but also the scientific understandings, that is the truth of, of our reality. Hmm. And so our, our challenge really is to, Find practices and communities and ways to practice this truth in our own lives Mm. so that we unlearn the conditioning of the culture, which is uh, driving us towards more separation, um, competition, domination, and you know, we're mired in these systems of oppression, and we can internalize them and often even inflict them unconsciously or unknowingly. But that's not all of who we are because our truth is this belonging. And so finding um, those wise and compassionate and sometimes compassion can be fierce, you know, ways to keep reminding ourselves. So I really uh, pay attention to what I'm taking in in terms mm. of media, in terms of social media <laughs> and content, and um, really uh, you know, start also maybe then to question um, without punishment, like habits or ways, um, including people <laughs> yeah. that uh, kind of go against this truth and go against my aspiration to have more of a sense of belonging.
2: Mm, that's really helpful. So where can people connect with you?
0: Oh yeah. I, I, my website, sabanesalasi.com and uh, you can sign up for a newsletter that I send a couple of times a month. Mm. Uh, I also have all my listed there and obviously like everyone i'm teaching online mostly now right and the app is a great place 10 percenthappier.com. yeah uh it's it's a really wonderful app and has a diversity of teachers and teachings and talks and meditations Um, and i spend most of my social media time on instagram uh, it's at Sabine Solasi.
2: Awesome. Well, I will put the links to all of your things uh, in the show notes along with your book. And uh, maybe we can do this again sometime. I really enjoyed it.
0: Oh, it was great, Glenn. It was really great. Thanks for having me.
2: Uh, thank you, Sebane. Have a good day.
0: You too. Take care.
1: Wish I had a mansion. Wish I was dressed with fancy. Uh, thing clean. uh, I, no I can't flex. Go ahead and here to run, i am a check. Wish I had no other most beating on my chest. Wishing for my people. Uh should have more better leaders. Have enough to make our own land. Name our own I'm beach pretty. and we bring our old sand. Wherever we live, it's so bland. So I'm much, pretty. we're high on demand. Tiptoe around, throwin' high lows. Feel like James Brown, love, we go here to dance. Let me talk. At the end of the day, we know I'm who's at a fault. We got our hands up, ready for a box. Undisputed got to get the own lock. Die, 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 champion, die, die, die. go ahead, call the ambulance. I so we set our own ambience. T T G train to go. I Let's wish talk, no rambling. Is Wishing, I I wish Wishing I had something for wish it. Wishing I had something for Knowing that I can afford it. Knowing that I can afford it. It's real love, it's real thing. love. I'm but I just ignore it. Is giving it's, giving all is it's all thing. love, it's all love. But I just enjoy it. Wishing I had something for it. Wishing I had something for it. That I can Wish I had red bottoms on my feet. Everything falls on me. Then I start clicking my heels to the ride. Did it beat me? Ever want to follow my speed? Let's close those more keys. Carolina Rose on freeze. Wishing I could fly to the Keys. That will be more free. Something in my mind hit the door. Put on my fresh fit. Uh, so Sir Charles, let's go, yo. we about My to go and get it. uh, let me talk, at the end of the day, we know who's at the fall, we got our hands up, ready for a box, undisputed, got the own lot. champions. Up, wishing I had something foreign, wishing I had something foreign, knowing that I can afford good it, good knowing good that good I can afford it. It. it, it's real love, it's real love, I'm but it. I just ignore it. It. it, it's all love, it's all love, My but I just ignore it. I have something for it. Should I had something for it? No one that I can afford it. No one that I can afford it. It's real, love, it's real love, it's real love. but I just adore it. It's all love, it's all love. but I just adore it. King is giving a festival.
0: I wish. King is giving a festival. I wish.